0: Welcome to Alameda Community Radio's News and Views. I'm your host, Susan Gallimore, and I'll be with you for this hour-long view into the workings and goings-on in our city of Alameda. Welcome to the very first Alameda Community Radio show and the first edition of News and Views. I'm Susan Gallimore, your host and a member of the Alameda Community Radio Board of Directors. Alameda Community Radio is a non-profit, listener-sponsored, and democratically managed internet station, at least for now. Our ultimate goal is a low-power FM radio station with a studio and regular radio programming dedicated to serving the geographically, historically, and culturally distinct city of Alameda. Alameda Community Radio aims to share views of Alameda that will maintain the quality of life in our town. And to that end, it is my great pleasure to begin that journey today with a pre-recorded interview with the City of Alameda Auditor and the Treasurer. In Alameda, in addition to electing a mayor and city council members, voting residents can also elect a city auditor and treasurer. The auditor is responsible for at least an annual audit of the city's financial operations to assure that the city's financial transactions and accounts are maintained as necessary. The treasurer recommends to council an investment policy for city monies and monitors and reports results of the city's investment portfolio. In Alameda, we are fortunate to have a strong auditor in Kevin Kearney and an equally strong treasurer in Kevin Kennedy, known fondly as the Two Kevins. I've admired their forthrightness at city council meetings as well as their willingness to meet with city residents. So it's my great pleasure to welcome City of Alameda Treasurer Kevin Kennedy. It's good to have you with us on our first broadcast of ACR News and Views.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It's uh, quite an honor to be one of the first... uh, guests on your new program
0: and Kevin Kearney is the City of Alameda auditor welcome Kevin Kearney
2: thank you greetings also it's a pleasure to be in your initial broadcast and I I appreciate that
0: so today I'm going to invite you to talk about your views of the direction of the city and um, your concerns if you have any about the budget so let's begin with Treasurer Kevin Kennedy there seems to be a general uneasiness among residents about the lack of transparency about the budget. Is that concern valid? Do you think?
1: I would tell you that the municipal finance is pretty difficult to follow. Um, it, it's not the accounting standards, as as Kearney can explain, uh, are not the simplest. But in terms of transparency, that's part of what uh, Kevin and I have been trying to do is to explain how that works uh, to whoever's interested. So it's not for lack of information. We've been trying to um, walk people through that process as much as we possibly can, uh, so that if they want to understand it, the
2: information is there.
0: Where can they find this information? This is uh, Kevin Kearney.
2: Well, the information I guess would be in the uh, uh, in the CAFR, which is the the cons- the consolidated financial report. And basically, as Kev said. Governmental accounting is a a little bit different than for-profit accounting. It's fund accounting. And um, at times, the way it's set up, it can be a little bit difficult to actually track some of the expenditures and some of the revenues. And so what we've tried to do is break it down in in a simple format and mainly, uh, I I think – the thing that most people are, are very much interested in, is, in the, is the general fund, because out of the general fund is where most of the services, well, I would say the discretionary funds are in the, uh, the general fund. There's, you know, The city receives federal grants, some money from the state, although these things are dwindling, and a lot of that money is, is specifically allocated for particular causes, and there is no discretionary spending. But the general fund is really where... The city has the ability to direct what, you know, sources of revenue that they do have and how to allocate them amongst the the various expenses and, you know, situations that comes up with the city and to provide for, you know, all the different things that makes the city of Alameda so great. We're talking about, Uh, you know, fixing the streets, the the park department, the, the library, public safety, all the things that I think are important to everybody in the city of Alameda. And that's what really what the general fund is. So most of our discussions have been really to explain, you know, how the general fund works, the shortfalls that are here right now and will continue to be here unless things really take a big, big change as far as the way, you know, uh, we allocate our money and the decisions that are basically made to, to fund what projects and, uh, you know, what things not to fund. And I think that's the big challenge going forward is, what you know, what are we going to fund? Because the city, is, we're in a very difficult situation. The city council's put us in, in a very, with, with their awarding of contracts to uh, public safety, have put us in a very tough situation going forward where there's going to be substantial cuts and their budgets can't be touched. So what, what does that leave? It leaves all the good things of the city of Alameda, and, and people are going to be upset.
1: Just to, And the, just to add one plug in here for our auditor, and in terms of transparency, before we get into discussion on the uh, specifics of the, the general fund, the city of Alameda has consistently won awards for the accounting um, recognition that, uh, that we're among the best in the state at uh, the financial reports that we produce. So uh, it's not really a matter of the city not wanting to be transparent. I think it's just a matter of the accounting and uh, kudos to the auditor and the job he's been doing for the last almost 20 years um, to produce great financial reports. It's just a matter of being able to interpret those. It's difficult, I think, for the average person, and that's where we try to help out.
0: You also made reference to what's going on in the federal budget right now. How does that affect us? This is Kevin Kennedy.
1: Well, what's going on in Alameda is not specific to Alameda, and we're an island and we kind of tend to uh, look internally at things and think that we're the only people dealing with something, and it's a unique issue. And it's really not. And what's going on at the federal level is basically the exact same thing. It's that government has been uh, um, overspending and overpromising for a long time. And uh, on the federal level, they can borrow money to do that. We can't do that on the on the city level. We can't go into debt to fund operations, but the feds can, and they've got you know 14 trillion plus in debt now and so what they're doing now is uh, is raising the bar so they can go further into debt. We don't have that luxury here. So what we're seeing on the federal level is the government's inability to come to terms with the fact that they're spending more than they're than they're bringing in and how to address that. We have the same issue here as does the state, as do most cities in this state. So, you know, it's the same it's the same disease. Uh we just don't have uh, as many different ways to uh, to deal with it as uh, as the feds do. We can't we can't go into 14 trillion
2: dollars into debt.
0: Kevin Cooney, you made reference to how the city council are ma- is making things more difficult and more awkward. Can you elaborate?
2: Well, I think the city council. I mean, they're basically in charge of making decisions on the way these funds are to be allocated, and they have taken the position that. Uh, they're going to continue to, in my opinion, overpay public safety at the detriment of all the other services that are offered. And they've come out and said, oh, they've passed this new agreement with public safety that's going to save the city money. Well, it is going to save money, but not currently. And we're talking, you know, about the here and now. And so the, uh, the savings that are going to occur over the lifetime of the contract, mainly health and welfare for the retirees and their families, that, that, you know, over time will save money, but currently it does nothing, and they know it will do nothing. It's been pointed out several times by, you know, Kevin Kennedy and myself publicly that it will do nothing, and they never argue that our numbers are wrong. And I think, you know, as as the auditor, and I'll just tell you, as, as somebody who's born and raised in Alameda, that's very frustrating to me. Because if somebody with expertise comes up and says "This is not going to work," and they just nod their heads up and down or then you know publicly try to trash you on on other issues that have nothing to do with what you said, but they never say, "Hey, your numbers are wrong in my opinion, that's a total lack of leadership, and in this budget uh coming up here, it's really going to come to fruition because There's $18 million roughly that $7 million have to be cut. And it's not from public safety. It's from all the other programs. So now when you go to the library and you see that it opens up two or three hours later, pretty soon there's going to be days when it's not open. When you go down to Mastic Senior Center, all the wonderful things it does for that group, it has to be cut because there's just no money to do that. And they've really boxed us in a position where we have nowhere to go. You see what's happening with the animal shelter. You know, that that's an, another, you know, wonderful entity in the city of Alameda. Now that's going to get chopped to some degree. I'm frankly disgusted with the city council from the mayor on down. I think that their allegiance with public safety, that's been documented, you know, check the the form at the city clerk's office that shows who contributed to their campaigns. And uh, there you have it. I'm not making it up. It's public record. There's been a lot of talk about
1: taking Steps in the right direction that uh, that this isn 't a problem that can be solved overnight, and to some degree i uh, I agree with that the problem is if you 're going to do this in in small incremental steps, you had to start five or ten years ago. Uh, the longer you wait, the bigger those steps have to be. those cuts have to be, and we 're not in a position today uh, where we can take baby steps we can 't go two years uh, with with baby steps and then try to do something in two years. Uh, if we were going to take that approach, we should have done it proactively five years ago and gotten the trajectory of this whole thing changed. But at this point, the idea that we can do this in small pieces and uh, and do it in a way that uh, uh, that isn't going to um, be difficult, uh, I, I think that's just a fallacy. There's no way we're going to be able to, to do this in small steps. We just don't have the luxury to take small concessions and, and make little cuts around the edges uh, at this point. You know, we've got a huge deficit, and uh, and Kevin Kearney's exactly right. What's left is the core services that people value, like parks and libraries and uh, good streets and lights and things like that. That's the only thing left, and we've been underfunding that stuff for a long time already. And it's just going to get a lot worse based on those decisions that have been made recently.
0: And so you made reference to this should have been done about five years ago. Was it raised five years ago?
1: Kevin Kearney and I actually worked with the city back in, it was late 2004 and 2005, with the idea of doing a 10-year forecast of the budget. And we had the outside auditors, uh, council approved funding, had the outside auditors work on a model we did that we worked with the cfo at that point for quite some time that model was i don't know probably 80 90 complete and then it was just shelved uh, for lack of political will or energy uh, at city hall you know that discussion has been there for a while we've been talking about this stuff for quite some time unfortunately as we're seeing with the federal stuff today uh, politicians don't like to deal with this stuff typically until it's a complete uh, crisis and so yeah, I think everybody's been aware of it for a while. It's just that uh, nobody does anything until you run out of dough and the checks start bouncing and then all of a sudden it becomes a big urgent thing and everybody gets in a frenzy and you have these 11th hour negotiations and stuff like that. And It's unfortunate that it that it has to get to that point, but at this point it kind of feels like maybe that's what has to happen. Maybe in a couple of years we have to be sitting here with nothing left and then the the reality will be settling in. But as a resident of Alameda, as a business owner of Al, in Alameda, uh, you know, Kev's born and raised in Alameda. I don't want to see that as a citizen. That's not as productive of an outcome as if you deal with it uh, proactively and you start making some smart choices. If we get to the point where we've burned through our general fund reserve and we don't have any other options left and we've got these huge liabilities out there, whatever decisions are made are just not going to be pretty and they're going to impact everybody in a much more negative way than they would have to. And they're, they're just... Hoping to hoping to give the can one more kick for a couple of years down the road, and maybe some miracle, some money will fall out of the sky or something.
0: Sometimes at the uh, council meetings, I wonder if the council members have enough background in finances to actually understand some of what you're talking about.
2: I think the the folks that are on the council, though, I think they're intelligent people. I think they just choose to take the action that they have taken with basically a disregard for the. The financial effect, because I don't understand how you wouldn't. Kevin and I have gone up there so many times. We were part of a fiscal sustainability committee. You know, the uh, the ten-year forecast we were involved in that was literally put in a, dr- a drawer and never, you know, never even really addressed nor implemented. About a year or so later, uh, a very blue ribbon committee of uh, of citizens with substantial financial expertise and uh, standing in the business community were put together. And we we came up with another model that a woman named Lori Zupan was very, I mean, just this brilliant woman, very uh, instrumental in developing this financial model and basically came up with the same results that the other model had come up with. We presented it to the city council you know, they said thank you. They chose to do nothing though, even though in this model it wasn't just Kevin and I, but it was all these other, you know, experts in areas like uh real estate, um property taxes, just
1: the CFO of Pete's coffee.
2: Brilliant woman. I mean, there was a phenomenal group of intelligent financial people that had real world experience dealing with budgets dealing with shortfalls dealing with how to make a business run and the city is a business but again nothing was done and uh, the thing that's really amazing about that in this last budget run uh, the results that we predicted were almost exactly what the city the finance director came out with i mean it was almost on point it was you know it was amazing how close to the prediction was but again The city council chose not to act on any of those numbers. So whether you have a financial background or not, it's certainly, if you're intelligent, it's not an intelligent decision to completely disregard what they say. I know that these people on city council, you know, they're not stupid. They're very intelligent. So if they have information that's valid information that's been, verified by a number of people and they choose not to do something, then they don't want to do it. And that means they have some other agenda going on.
0: This is Alameda Community Radio's News and Views, the first show of many to bring news and views from Alamedans to Alamedans. I'm Susan Gallimore talking with City Auditor Kevin Kearney and City Treasurer Kevin Kennedy about the city budget. Learn more about Alameda Community Radio from our blog, which is http colon slash slash alameda-communit-radio.blogspot.com. Hyphen hyphen That's alameda-communit-radio.blogspot. Hyphen hyphen when I say community, it's community without the Y. Long story behind that, but basically alameda communit radio blogspot by, uh, dot com. Back to Kevin Kennedy.
1: We're not blaming anybody. For the situation we're in, this situation wasn't created overnight. Uh, it's taken decades to get as upside down as we are. It's not a matter of you know who got us here and and how did we this end up? How did we end up being here? I mean that's a discussion for another day. The problem is is we're here and we need to deal with it. And so it's not that uh, current council members for the most part, um, or even you know the unions and the and the, the hardworking. Public safety and miscellaneous employees and everybody over there. It's not that they created this problem last month or last year or something. This is an imbalance that's been happening for decades. And so the problem in the short run is they need to step up and fix it. And, yes, they didn't create it. Maybe some of them weren't even around when the whole thing started. But nonetheless, the problem's there, and somebody's got to step up there and fix it. And, you know, I've expressed that to council members. I've expressed that to the – I talked to the firefighters union, and I said, geez, I understand that, you know, this isn't uh, something you guys created overnight here, and some of your guys are probably wondering why they have to bear the brunt of some of this stuff and and give up some stuff, but uh, that's where we're at right now. What it takes is a little bit of courage, a little bit of political will. In my mind, if you're going to put your name on the ballot – you got to do the job that you're elected for. And if you don't want to do it, don't run. But if you're up there, and I've had people tell me this in my, what has it been, 11 years of being treasurer, they say, hey, you know, I know we elected you, and I know you're going to go up there and do the right thing. And I tell them, I say, you know, I'm going to try my darndest, but you can't just expect that when you elect somebody, they're going to go up there and do the best thing. We really need the leadership, the unions, everybody to step up, acknowledge what's going on and say, hey, this, this wasn't something we created last month or last week, but darn it, we've got to fix this now because it's just getting really ugly and really upside down.
0: So I want to talk about numbers, realizing that it's hard for people that are just listening to absorb a lot of figures, but let's talk about some general numbers, and then I'd also like to talk about solutions, what we think can be done about this.
1: In a real broad sense, so keep it as simple as possible. I've gone into people's homes and presented this stuff to small groups. The more people that understand it, the better. But basically, what we've had is a lot of expenses, a lot of current bills that are growing and absorbing all the money that we have. So if you can imagine things like uh, your mortgage or your utility bill is going up to the point where it's taking up all your income. So you stop putting money aside to fix your roof or to tune up your car or things like that. And if you do that long enough, you end up with a car that doesn't work well and a roof that leaks and things like that, and you've got no money saved up to fix any of that stuff. And so the city's been doing that for a long time. We haven't put any money aside to fix roads and streets. We've been delinquent in doing that stuff for the last 10 years. We haven't put any money aside for all the retiree medical that we've been promising um, city employees. And we've been basically not paying the bills we absolutely don't have to pay because we barely have enough money to pay the bills we absolutely have to pay and so now we're at a point where there isn't any anything easy to cut. There aren't any bills to forego. We've already played that card and now the cuts are to things that are immediate. 80% or more of the government spending in Alameda is for salaries and benefits. You know, people accuse us of being anti-union or Tea Party or some crazy thing. It's not that. It's if you have to cut the budget and 80% of the money is going towards salaries and benefits or more, 90%, something like that, well, then you have to cut salary. You can't not cut salaries and benefits. If 75, 70, 75% of your money is going towards public safety, how do you not cut that? You have to eliminate everything else if you're not going to touch that piece. So it's not that we're picking on anybody, but those are the big elephants in the room. And, And until you're willing to step up there and Deal with that. I mean, it's just uh, it's just a shell game until until you actually get in there and, and, and deal with those uh, elephants in the room.
0: And so there are about 44 cities in the Bay Area, 44 or 45 cities in the Bay Area. How many of those have actually done what you're suggesting, which is cut back on on salaries and pensions?
2: Well, I would say the um, the two biggest, or it's the city of San Francisco, city of San Jose, and Oakland recently did. As well, and they they came out and just said that the salaries of the public safety I, I forget what it is was were going to be cut 10 percent right off the top. If you took 10 percent right off the top for public safety here, and they they compose 70 percent or 72 percent of what the uh, the general fund is, and let's just say that that's 70 million dollars. That's seven million dollars right there. Well, we're going to have a seven million dollar shortfall just to be Equal. I'll just digress for one moment. One thing that has become somewhat annoying is when somebody comes out and says, "Oh, you're anti-public safety, you're anti-union, you're you're anti-this." I was called anti-family, anti-union, all these things. It has nothing to do with that. I mean, everybody in their own personal life can relate to this. And when there's times are good, you get to go on a vacation, you buy a new car. You do you spend money on a number of wonderful things. When times get tough, you have to start cutting back. I don't begrudge anybody for trying to get paid the most amount of money that they can possibly get paid. For public safety, in prior years, when there was a lot more money that was available to the city, they had some beautiful contracts. The city needs to live up to those contracts, but they're contracts for periods of time. Now we're in a situation where their pay, their benefits, it's unsustainable. You're just doing the math, unsustainable. Now these things have to be cut back. I can understand not wanting to get your paycheck cut back, but guess what, in the real world that I operate in, that most of the listeners operate in, hey, if, if the work isn't going good and you own a business, you get paid less. If you're working for somebody and the money coming in goes down, you could lose your job. In fact, people do lose their job. And so for, for them to operate in this vacuum that, oh, we have these wonderful salaries, these wonderful benefits, and they should just go in for perpetuity, that's absurd. The real world doesn't work that way. Now the next contract, they need to, you know, they need to take a hit. And then when things get going again, if we have more money to do things and they can negotiate a better one, God bless them. But this, this thing that, that you know, this notion out there that, that somehow that they're, you know, if you decide you're going to cut some benefit that, that public safety has is somehow you're anti-public safety. It's, it's ridiculous. It's just about bouncing a budget. That's all it is.
1: Yeah, and if you look at what city staff presented regarding this budget for this fiscal year, which started July 1st, 2011, They were talking about to balance the budget. They found some one-time monies, which is a one-time thing. They scrounged up all the loose change in the drawers, and that's done with, so they can't do that in future years. But really, the honest deficit was about 10% of the budget. Seems fair that you just say, okay, everybody cuts 10%. But that's not what happened. Uh, You know, the net change in, in the public safety contracts was minimal maybe a couple percent at best. You know, that means that other departments have to cut. And, you know, in regards to being anti-union and stuff, let me tell you, I've been going up in that finance department for 11 years now. There used to be, I don't know, 25 people up there. Now there's 17, something like that. The miscellaneous employees, the people who don't make six-figure salaries, who don't get lifetime medical, who are working a hard job, and making you know what most people think is just a reasonable salary, they've been getting pummeled for the last five years. They've been getting pummeled up there, and you know that's not fair. If we have to cut 10%, why shouldn't every department just cut 10%? Particularly when a couple of the departments are such a huge part of the budget, if they say, well, we're not going to cut 10%, well, then you're going to have to go ask Finance and Parks and Rec and everybody else to cut 25%. You know, to me, you say, cut 10%, figure out how to do it, and come back to us and tell us how you're going to do it. End of story. And I think uh, the interim city manager at that time, Lisa Goldman, I think she actually stepped up and said that that they would step up and take pay cuts uh, in their department, which is a small part of the budget, but I think it was a very symbolic thing to do. Um, but obviously, when it got down to negotiating with, um, you know, the lion's share of the budget uh, in the public safety contracts, I don't think that same offer <laughs> was made, obviously, and and. It just doesn't seem right that it continues that way, and I think there are a lot of hardworking employees up there who have sacrificed a lot and are working a lot harder than they did five or ten years ago. I'm sure they're wondering why they keep getting whipped up there and and, and other departments are uh, are cruising along with the same type of stuff they've had for the last ten years.
2: Regarding uh the other employees in the city of Alameda, and I really want to real really emphasize my position on that as well. I am 100% with Kevin. The other departments in the city of Alameda that union folks, they're referred to as the miscellaneous group, they've taken unbelievable hits, unfair hits. They work very, very hard. Their departments have been have been slashed significantly. My interface with uh, different departments regarding audit functions, were, where there, there was three and four and five and six people that I used to deal with, now there's one and two. When they, the anti-union tag gets thrown out there to attack us, I want to be very, very clear that that's ridiculous. If anybody should really be mad in the city of Alameda, it really should be the miscellaneous union people. To be honest with you, because here they go to work every day, work their buns off, and they get slashed and slashed and slashed, and their compensation and benefits are nowhere near what public safety is. So if anybody should be disgruntled, it really should be them, and, you know, God bless them. They're hardworking people. I'm thankful that they work for the city, but they, they are getting slashed left and right, and it's a terrible thing.
1: I would just, I mean, it's important for people to understand the chain of command um, up there. The city council has the ability to hire and fire basically um, the city manager. Uh, and as a result, uh, I think their directive carries a lot of weight. Uh, periodically, you get a city manager that's pretty strong willed and is willing to step up and, and tell the council things that they don't want to hear or maybe would prefer not to have aired publicly but you know that's a job risk for a city manager i think a city manager that is has a, a good moral compass is is going to be willing to do that and step up and tell the truth but on the other side of the coin someone that wants to stay in their job and not rock the boat is just going to tell them what they want to hear and do whatever they want to do and so you know, it's important that a city council is a hugely important position. Uh, They direct the government. And so when you have a budget that comes from the ground up, that comes through the departments and comes up, you know, most of the time, I think it's going to reflect the direction of the city council and and what they would prefer to um, spend money on. Um, When it doesn't, council is going to change it. And my guess is, as we've seen in with the turnover in uh, the city manager job is if the council uh, gets uh, a lot of information from the city manager that they don't like, they fire them. So, you know, at the end of the day, the city council is the one that's accountable for all that stuff and they're accountable to the voters. And I think if there, if that connection was made, if the voters, if the citizens of Alameda held these people a little bit more accountable for where we're at and where we're headed, uh, maybe we'd see things a little bit different. We'd see some different things happening. I think that's, a, that's an important link that needs to happen. And just, you know, electing somebody doesn't necessarily mean that, um, that they're going to do uh, what you would prefer. And you, they need to know to some degree that uh, you're looking over their shoulder. And you're not going to micromanage them or, or question every decision, but just that you expect them to continue to represent you.
0: A reminder that this is the first of many Alameda Community Radio shows to bring news and views from Alamedans to Alamedans. Learn more about Alameda Community Radio and how you can get involved at our blog, alameda-community-radio.blogspot.com. I'm Susan Gallimore, host of News and Views and a co-founding member of ACR, which we hope, as I mentioned, will eventually become a physical low-power FM radio station. On this, our first ever show, we talk with City Auditor Kevin Kearney and City Treasurer Kevin Kennedy about the city budget and our city's financial situation in this time of belt tightening. Let's return to the pre-recorded show. How can city residents be more proactive or be more active in in, um, understanding how the council works and also getting the council to deal with these issues?
2: I think it initially starts with who you vote for. And I think it's very, very imperative that when people are deciding who they're going to vote for, that they get information. And if somebody comes around, knocks on your door that represent a particular group and says you should vote for this person, well, if some group's campaigning on behalf of this group, then you can probably rest assured that they are going to you know, be very favorable to that group. That'd be number one. Knowing who's pushing a particular candidate to get elected because that's basically who they're going to represent that'd be number one number two once the person's in there, you know you have to be aware of what goes on at some city council meetings I mean the information what's going to be discussed in meetings is online the city of alameda website it's if you don't have a computer you can you can get the uh, the agendas and minutes of meetings directly from the city hall and then if you become particularly interested in some area because in this area going forward this year uh, with all these different cuts there's going to probably be a lot of things that people you know hold very dear to their heart they might be a big library person they might be a big animal shelter person they might be a big uh, senior center they just might want to have all the holes in front of their street finally attended to and I think what you need to do is you need to get your friends and fellow residents that are interested in those uh, particular areas when there's going to be a discussion on those areas, you need to go to the city council meetings, you need to put your slip in, you need to speak for three minutes, and you need to really be honest and speak your mind. Because after all, you as a citizen, you pay for all the stuff. You get service or you don't. And I think if you're proactive, I, I, I really firmly believe this. At the local level, the group that is the best organized, the loudest, and basically goes to city council meetings and really puts people on the spot, I think they get attention. The federal government's very difficult; they're not li- they don't listen as, as well because there's not as you know there's not enough of you to cause a change. But at the local level, you go down to the city council meeting, you go down there with 75 of your friends, who are, who are upset of the direction that's going. In 75, or you slam somebody that has to say next, next, next. Pretty soon, when that meeting's over, they're thinking, "Well, geez, this wasn't too much fun." These people really are mad, and maybe they're mad for a good reason. And so, I would just say, get get mobilized that way. When there was an issue that you you want to get information on, or you're disgruntled about, go up there and let people know. I would agree with Kevin Kearney 100 on the on the the voting thing. That's where it
1: all starts, and. To some degree, you know, everyone leads a busy life. They got things going on. It's hard to uh, to go to every council meeting and things like that. You, there are a core group of people that are active that you see at a lot of the council meetings, but you know, for the most part, we've got whatever seventy-something thousand people in Alameda, and you see, you know, the same twenty or thirty people at council meetings, and that's somewhat understandable. But where it starts is with who you vote for, and. You have to pay attention to, is this person um, going to represent my interests? Are my interests the same as their interests and who supports them? Because, um, you know, to be honest with you, I think what we're seeing right now is exactly what people voted for. And if that's what people want, that's fine. I mean, they have to understand it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost of no senior centers or libraries or parks. But you know, if the direction that we've taken over the last six months is what people want, then that's great. If not, then they need to really think hard about how they vote and who they're voting for and think about, is this person representing my interests or are they representing an interest that's counter to mine? As a citizen of Alameda, I have a long-term interest in, in the city, uh, a long-term interest in these decisions and preserving the way of life in Alameda that runs counter to the interests of some other groups that have a short-term interest in their paycheck or their benefits and things like that. And so a lot of times those interests might not be aligned. And it's important to understand that if you're electing people, um, maybe that are representing those shorter-term interests, that might not represent your long-term interests. It might actually go complete opposite of your, or your long-term interest in the city. And so you really have to think about the vote. In terms of, of participation, you know, I, I've yelled at the city about this for years they're terrible at garnering input you know it's a shame quite honestly that people have to go to a council meeting and 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 wait and get a speaker's slip to represent their you know to voice their opinion i mean that's like 18th century or something there should be a better way to solicit input and quite honestly if you're running a business i mean what business doesn't want to solicit input uh, so that they can help to shape their product to serve their consumers. So the city of Alameda has done a terrible job, in my opinion, of figuring out exactly what services people value, uh, what services they don't value. Um, you know, all, it just becomes a shouting match whenever one particular slice of the pie comes up for discussion, um, which, you know, doesn't seem to be the most productive way to do it. I would encourage people to go online. Our fiscal sustainability report is on the city website. We did it in plain English so people could understand it. They can go in there and check that out. They can go in there and look at, if they really want to get into detail, look at the CAFRs, the Consolidated Annual Financial Reports. Those are all online. The city website has a whole bunch of info that you can look at at midnight or two in the morning or whenever you want and go through that stuff. Um, The uh, workshops that Kevin Kearney and I have done, uh, I I hope uh, the feedback we've gotten is that we are able to, Uh, demystify this whole thing a little bit, Uh, but there are resources out there that people can tap into at their convenience, Um, not necessarily the first and third Tuesday of every month uh, council meetings, although I agree with Kevin at this point, um, the most effective thing seems to be getting 100 of your friends and getting up there and, and, and basically yelling um, that seems to catch people's attention, and uh, until they come up with a better way to, to solicit input uh, at this point, uh, I think that's that's probably the most effective thing to do.
0: That's City Treasurer Kevin Kennedy and City Auditor Kevin Kearney, the two Kevins. I want to be sure that you have an opportunity to say the thing that's most on your mind that you would most like um, residents to know or just feel like it's something that needs to be said. Kevin Kearney?
2: As a citizen, try to be involved. This next budget cycle is going to be very crucial. There's going to be cuts to all the things that I think really represent the the great city of Alameda, and I would, I would get your group together, and when they start discussing the budget this year, I'd go to those city council meetings, and I would voice your opinion and uh, you know, demand answers. Kevin Kennedy. Uh, similar to what...
1: Uh, Kearney just said, I think this next budget, um, which is for the fiscal year July 1st of 2012, uh, is going to be difficult. And we've said publicly in front of council a couple of times that we hope and expect, and it would be most productive if they start talking about that budget as soon as possible, rather than springing stuff a month before and having, you know, for example, the animal shelter people had to come up with an alternative business plan and three hours or some crazy thing, you know, to try to save that. Let's start talking about it now. Let's get that budget out on the table. Let's start sketching what that's going to look like. I'm concerned about it because 70% of our spending, public safety, um, basically just locked us in with very little savings. And we still have, you know, three and a half, four, four and a half million dollars in cuts to make and we don't have a heck of a lot of stuff to cut from. So there's going to be some stuff on there like libraries and and funding for different programs and parks and rec uh, that are going to be cut. They have to be cut. There's no other money there. And the sooner we start talking about that, the better. It gives the citizens a chance to see what's going on and also maybe to come up with some alternative ideas. So I think the biggest thing right now is, hopefully in the next three months, we start to get an idea of what their game plan is for next year, because uh, this year they kind of papered it over a little bit. um, But next year could be really, uh, really ugly, and uh, I think that's something people need to look at.
0: That was City Treasurer Kevin Kennedy along with City Auditor Kevin Kearney on the first edition of the weekly show News and Views. Kevin Kennedy referred to documents that residents can access online. Listeners can also download documents referenced in this show on our blog, that is alameda-communit-radio.blogspot.com. This show will remain on the blog, and over time, ACR will create an archive of shows Alameda residents can refer to at any time. Now, it is my intention in the future to invite city council members Alameda city council members to interview also um, perhaps if you have thought this show is a little critical and council members don't have a way of answering or responding to they will have a, a opportunity in the future and I'm very much looking forward to that because I think what we need in Alameda is more of a conversation to help residents understand the situation that we're in and how they can get involved in it <music> Alameda Community Radio is a nonprofit, listener-sponsored, and democratically managed effort supported by community volunteers and donations. We intend to foster creative, active, and open Alameda community and enhance community dialogue and participation. Right now, we're a small group of people committed to beginning an ongoing conversation about issues affecting our city. ACR's Board of Directors is made up of Dr. Barry Schutz, Howard Horowitz, Das Peabody, Peter Frank, Kathleen Schumacher, and myself, Susan Gallimore, We're all Alameda residents, and I want to take a moment to introduce our board of directors. Let's hear first from Dr. Barry Schutz. Barry, why are you involved?
3: Well, it's some, I've always been dancing around radio and television most of my life, but I, I also feel that there's a great sense of wanting to do something in Alameda that's going to create a, mo, a more whole and more integral Alameda and to provide communication services that are clearly not focused on Alameda. I'm really delighted to be part of this project, and, and I have spent most of my life in academia as a professor of international comparative politics, but I also worked at the State Department for a short time as a foreign affairs analyst. My original goal when I was an undergraduate student at Indiana University was to be a radio and television person, either an announcer or a director. It was a long time ago, and my main aim was sports, but there was a guy named Dick Enberg in my class, (laughs) and he blew me out of the water, and that was the end of of that uh, ambition. I did have my own uh, jazz uh, DJ show that I had every Sunday night, which was really delightful, so I had some background. But when I was interviewing political science professors, I got much more interested in what... They were saying that it wasn't anything that I was doing, and I wound up majoring in political science. I came to Alameda from Washington, D.C. in uh, 2003, a year after um, uh, my wife and I were married, and uh, I really fell into it here. I fell in love with Alameda. I got involved with uh, Arthur and Gretchen Lipau right away in the Alameda Public Affairs Forum, which is exactly where I met Susan and where I met Peter and where I heard about this development of this uh, low-power FM station. Right now, I'm affiliated with Stanford University. I'm a a research scholar in the uh, Center for African Studies, and uh, I'll be teaching and have taught in the Stanford Continuing Studies program. This spring, I'll be teaching a course on U.S. foreign policy. Uh, One little other tidbit. My father was a radio amateur. He was a ham all of my life, and I disdained it, (laughs) and uh, never thought it was very interesting. He's not around anymore, but I think he would be really surprised and maybe pleased that I was uh, involved in this. On September 14th, I wanted to mention that. I'll be doing a program on the impact of 9-11 on some of us, and uh, I have some some memories and being in Washington, D.C. at the time, and uh, it will be a very interesting program. Uh, I thank you very much, and um, I'm looking forward to a great project here.
0: That's uh, Barry Schutz again. That's September 14th. We'll be doing a show on September 11th, 2001, and how it was to be uh, in Washington at that time. And now let's talk with Howard Horowitz who is a recent um, immigrant to our little island. Welcome, Howard.
4: Thank you. <coughs> I uh, arrived in Alameda just about a year ago, and uh, Before that, I'd visited Alameda because I had friends here and uh, felt like there's a real community here, and the word community and the word communication have the same root for a very good reason, And, and communication helps to build and strengthen communities, and that's one of the reasons I'm very much involved in establishing a community radio station here. I'm a retired engineer and software developer, and I've been interested in radio as long as I can remember. When I was a teenager, I used to build uh, radio sets, and I, I always thought there was something magical about being able to hear voices over the air without any wires. I remember building a crystal radio, which didn't even use batteries. All you needed was you know, a few simple parts and an antenna that went around the room, and I could hear radio stations. And I, I never lost that feeling that there's something magical about radio. I was a child when when television first made its way into my neighborhood, and somehow I never really got into it, and I'm still not. I I still am what I'd call a radio person. And as a result of that, I developed a real interest in communication as well. I became a radio amateur when I lived in Berkeley some years ago, and I'm still involved with amateur radio. When the Internet came along, I wrote a program for creating web pages, again, another form of communication, and it turned out to be the first web page editor for Windows, and if I had known anything about business at the time, I'd be a very wealthy man today. That, Fortunately for me, that didn't happen. Uh, and the last program I wrote was actually a program t- called Golden Ear, and it was uh, a podcast receiver, for Windows, and um, again, radio and communication have all been part of my life, and I still to this day am an avid listener of podcasts. I have an iPod, and I don't really listen to music on it. I listen to podcasts about politics, about science, about radio, and other things. So that's why I'm here. I hope to be able to participate in this endeavor to create a community radio station to build community to further the building of community here. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Howard. And we have Das Peabody.
5: Hi. I've been in Alameda for probably a couple of decades by now and have done radio. Oh, my first radio show would be about the age 20 where I got hired by KNAC in LA to do a late-night slot, and I would only program the records they had thrown away in the trash. <laughs> So I will probably be the anarchist of the group here and keep pushing us to stay community-edged uh, and uh, damn the torpedoes.
0: And we need that. And you already have a radio show.
5: I've got three actually on three different stations. So uh, and one of them's actually a TV show. So yeah, I'm all over the dial, and it's generally music.
0: Uh, can people find that and listen? Can oh,
5: sure. There's. Um, I guess if you must, you can go to my website, which is ubuibi.org, and that'll move you on into all sorts of interesting directions.
0: Interesting directions is what we need. Let's talk with Peter Frank, who I must say is really the mover and shaker behind the physical radio station part of the Low Power FM for Alameda.
6: Well, I'm Peter Frank. I'm uh, relatively new. I guess it's four years resident of Alameda, but I've lived most of my life in the Bay Area. And ever since my student activist days at Berkeley, i felt that if we can't do something about the media, if we can't have media that tells the truth rather than what advertisers want it to say, et cetera, that we're not going to achieve anything for just communities or, just, or a just country. So I've been a media activist. I've been involved with Pacifica Radio Foundation in the past as a board member and as an officer. Not, not, I'm not a broadcaster. I used to lead a committee of the Lawyers Guild called the Committee on Democratic Communications, and Howard's story reminded me, in the early 90s, Paper Tiger Television invited a few of us lawyers in San Francisco to meet a professor, Suko, I think his name was, from Japan, where low-power radio really, really started. And we watched this professor take a plate full of parts bought for $15 at Radio Shack and assemble them into a low-power radio. And plug a microphone in, and we got in our cars and started driving around the Mission neighborhood, and we could hear him talking. That told us that this was a very powerful medium for community radio. And about the same time, pirate radio started popping up, and we started—we as the lawyers' guild started defending pirate radio broadcasters. That led to so many of them being on the air that the FCC, Federal Communications Commission couldn't shut them all down, so they had to regularize it, and we participated in making the rules for low-power radio. Low-power radio is 100 watts or less. It's ideally suited for a local community like Alameda. It's not meant to cover the whole Bay Area. We've got KLW and KPFA and so on for that. But having a low-power station which can reach the whole of one contiguous community like this is incredibly important. And we now have what's probably going to be the last opportunity because the spectrum is getting so crowded to license such stations. Um, So we here are getting ready to be one of the applicants for a license, and we want our license to cover just Alameda.
0: And we will in the future talk more in depth with Peter Frank and um, another member, uh, our advisory board member, Tracy Rosenberg, who is part of Media Alliance, about just what that looks like. Go into more detail about how the low-power FM is rolling along, where we are with that, and also talk about some of your great background because you've been an activist for a very long time, and I think it's really interesting.
6: I will add that what I call my day job is as an entertainment lawyer. <laughs> my website is called Culture Law because I think culture and media law go together very importantly.
0: Thank you. That's Peter Frank. Now we'll talk with Kathleen Schumacher, who
7: I'm very grateful to have on the board because she's the other girl. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Kathleen Schumacher, and I'm a, an ACT member, which is a new group that's, that's been formed here in Alameda. Uh, stands for Alameda Community Task Force. We actually feel that the community needs to be more involved in issues here and that are Alameda issues specifically. So um, that's why we started. And I've been a retired. I am a retired teacher after 30 some years, 40 years of teaching, and I also am an amateur radio operator which I haven't been doing for the last few years, I must admit. But my father is 98, and he is still an active amateur radio operator in Nebraska. So I'm still involved, and his business has been the amateur radio business for years and years, which I worked in as um, a teenager and a young adult. Anyway, he wants me to get back on the air, so I guess I'll have to be doing that to get communication with him going again. Anyway, the the interest here in the community radio station is basically I I think there's island issues that that are never addressed. Our citizens need to be motivated about making good decisions, and I feel like there's been some decisions that could have been better made if we had given them more information. So I feel like we could be an informational station. We could give interesting information to our diverse population, and ACR could be a really great place for people to go to listen to issues that are uh, pertinent to their needs at this time. So thank you. That was Kathleen Schumacher, and as she mentioned,
0: there's lots of issues in Alameda. A couple of weeks ago, Alameda Citizens Task Force did a presentation on the golf course and the issues around that over in Harbor Bay. We're going to be airing that presentation. We had a number of very interesting speakers there, so that's one of the things that we will be doing, and we thank Alameda Citizens Task Force for bringing those kinds of issues to Alameda. And I'm Susan Gallimore, host of News and Views. I spent most of my career in electronic publishing from the early days of computer, and then I moved into Internet and website and multimedia project management and production. I'm a writer and author, and I also have a small boutique, not-for-profit business, putting family stories and histories into a format to share with family members. So if you have a box of photographs and lots of family stories that you want to share with your children and your grandchildren, contact me and I'll help you do that. We can use audio, video, or whatever you want to keep your family stories and history alive and well and ready to be passed on to future generations. It's a lot of fun to do this work, and I really urge you, if you've been thinking about it, contact me to do that. And you can contact me through this radio station, Community Radio at gmail.com. So I'm also producer and host of Raising Sand Radio, which is RaisingSandRadio.org, and that takes in-depth views of national and international newsworthy topics and plums them so that we can get beyond the sound bites and to understand what those topics are about in context of our, the world we live in today. Now, um, an upcoming Alameda event this Saturday evening, September 10th, from 7 to 9.30 p.m., at the Alameda Public Affairs Forum features Michael Eisencher, National Coordinator of US Labor Against War, speaking on the topic from a war to a peace economy, responding to the crisis in the, a- in the American and global economy. This forum will be held at the Alameda Free Library corner of Oak and Lincoln at 6:30 there's an informal potluck and coffee and dessert reception. There will be time for audience questions and discussion following the presentation. Donations at the door, but no one is turned away for lack of funds. This is a wheelchair-accessible event, and you enter through the parking lot at the rear of the library. As many of you may know, the Alameda Public Affairs Forum is entering its fifth year. It meets regularly at the library on the second Saturday of the month. For further information, see the website at um, alamedapublicaffairsforum.org. Or call 510-814-9592, org or 814-9592 to learn more about this event. And this uh, is Michael Eisenshire, National Coordinator of U.S. Labor Against War, speaking on the topic from a war to a peace economy, responding to the crisis in the American and global economy. And that is our first Alameda Community Radio Show. Thank you for joining us. A link to the show and all our shows after this will be available on our blog, so tell your friends to download, the AC, uh, download it from the ACR blog. That address, alameda-community-radio.blogspot.com. If you'd like to volunteer or apply for your own show, go to that blog to download and fill out ACR's program proposal form and send that along with the program demo to Alameda Community Radio at gmail.com. You can also comment on this week's show or suggest future shows to me by email at Alameda Community Radio at gmail.com. Join us again next week. Wednesday, we upload the latest show. And that's News and Views with me, Susan Gallimore, for this week. This show and all Alameda Community Radio shows are available for download from our blog, alameda-community-radio.blogspot.com. Be sure to share this link with your friends. Again, it's alameda-community-radio.blogspot.com. Let me spell it out. A-L-A-M-E-D-A hyphen C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T hyphen radio, R-A-D-I-O, dot blogspot If you'd like to support our efforts at ACR or if you're interested in volunteering for ACR, contact us at Alameda Community Radio at gmail.com To propose your own ACR show, download ACR's program proposal form from the blog, Alameda community radio dot and send it along with the program demo to Alameda Community Radio at Gmail dot com. Thanks for listening and join us again next week.